Hello and welcome to another Imagining Freedom podcast, which is focused on our rights and freedoms. A few months ago, I was driving up north and listening to the Scottish Liberty podcast with Anthony Samaroff. He was touring the United States at the time, and this particular podcast episode was a recording of a conversation he'd had at a dinner party with some prominent libertarians. And at this dinner conversation, Samaroff introduced a very provocative idea. By the way, I don't consider myself to be a libertarian simply because I'm not a fan of any political parties or the political system. My current voting preference is none, although I do occasionally vote for independent candidates. And I'm not meaning Scottish independents here, but candidates who are standing independently outside the party political system. However, I do like many libertarian ideas. And I often listen to libertarian podcasts. And the idea that Anthony Samaroff was presenting at this dinner party was a very intriguing one. That there is no such thing as a state. I've listened to many podcasts that argue that the state should not exist. But to suggest that there is no such thing as a state sounds completely bizarre on the surface. Bonkers even. I was very curious to find out how he was going to justify this statement. But as the guests were all discussing it and questioning him, I found that my mind was working overtime. What I felt that Samaroff was implying was that the state is a collective construct of all our minds. Maybe this was just my interpretation of his words. It really set my thought processes working overtime because it fed into the way that my own thinking has been moving throughout this whole crazy COVID crisis and even before 2020. In fact, I was listening to this podcast on the day that the last lockdown was lifted. I hate even using the term lockdown as it kind of normalises it. I've said this before, I think the very idea of enforced lockdown is an outrage to any society that sees itself as civilised. So I was heading north, the first time in weeks that I was officially permitted to do such a thing, and I was heading north to camp to camp in a remote area, the perfect environment for thinking about these kinds of ideas. The COVID crisis, more than any other I can remember, is demonstrating that the more people comply with authority, the more authoritarian authority becomes, and that if enough people resist authoritarianism, It's often delayed, readjusted or even put on the back burner. I've seen this happen several times over the past couple of years. It sometimes seems that the so-called authorities are testing us to see what we'll put up with. Because they know that if they push people too far, they could trigger a major kickback. And this is something that they really do not want to do. David Icke has often called this the totalitarian tiptoe, and I've heard other people use this description recently. When I hear people say this, I often think, no, it's not a totalitarian tiptoe, it's totalitarian galumphing. But actually, I think totalitarian tiptoe is more appropriate, because most people are so braced to reject anything that smells of totalitarianism that building up a power control structure has to be done with enormous subtlety. The control structure has to be assembled very quietly when no one's looking. 
anyone who draws attention to it has to be quickly silenced. When police have crossed the line of what most people would consider acceptable, for example during the second lockdown, when police in Aberdeen pushed their way into a family home and wrestled the mother to the ground because they suspected that they were holding visitors, which was horribly reminiscent of the way stormtroopers in Nazi Germany behaved. I don't know if it was my imagination, but after that incident, the enforcement of COVID policies seemed to get a little bit less heavy-handed. The authorities seem to push things so far as if they're wondering how much people will take, and then they'll retreat for a bit. As long as our social media posts and videos are being censored, that's a demonstration of how important the reaction of the ordinary person in the street is to these people in authority. Things like this just cannot happen without our collective compliance and approval. As Ralph Smart of the Infinite Waters channel on YouTube said, Collectively, we created this. What you're seeing before your eyes is humanity's collective shadow. And right now, we have to do the shadow work. In essence, the state exists because we give it that power. We, well most of us, want it to exist because we believe that it gives us protection, a safe environment to bring up our families, carry out our business and to flourish. This is a reciprocal relationship. It's similar to the philosophy of the social contract. If the vast majority of people said, actually this state thing is a pile of nonsense and ignored it, it would effectively lose its power. Even if the state machinery was effectively used to round us up and bring us into line, that would fail if, people, if the people employed to do the rounding up also decided that the state was a pile of nonsense and that its orders should be ignored. If the police all refused to, to arrest people who broke the law, if the army all refused to fight, the state would be un unable to enforce its policies. I'm not saying that's what should happen, but in order to perpetuate this system, it's crucial that the state has our collective approval. And of course, most people do approve of it. But quite often, I would say increasingly often, it's a grudging approval, which is based on fear of the alternative. I would suggest that this is why we're seeing, seeing this kind of mass hypnotism with people, with smart people complying with increasingly bizarre authoritarian demands. Because they're so terrified of the alternative that they have to convince themselves that all this is perfectly rational and reasonable. And that is why they get so emotional when anything that contradicts that narrative is pointed out to them. So you often see normally rational, intelligent people erupting in anger calling you names, storming out of the room without any real provocation, because ultimately the truth is too much to bear. They don't want to open that Pandora's box and see the dragnet of tyranny that's closing in on us. I sometimes think it's a bit similar to something that happened decades ago when I had a flash of intuition at the age of 15. At the time we had a beloved family pet, a little dog called Shandy. And this was one of the moments that I remember vividly. She was only eight, but she'd been slowing down and we wondered what was wrong with her. 
I was in the kitchen with my mum and sister and Shandy walked in. She gave me the cutest look and her head was tilted slightly to one side. I was about to say, oh, Shandy's so cute. But instead, what came out of my mouth was, do you think Shandy might have cancer? I really didn't intend to say that. It just came out of my mouth unexpectedly. My mum and sister both turned round and snarled at me. Oh, don't be silly! Sadly, it turned out that Shandy did have cancer. She died a few months later. We were all heartbroken. Of course, it wasn't a time for me to say I told you so, because I knew, even at that age, that the reason for their aggressive rebuttal of what I was saying that day was that we all probably realised deep inside that this might be the case. But we just didn't dare say it, or even allow ourselves to think it. We were trying to keep the fairy tale going for as long as possible, and it was only when Shandy managed to intuitively communicate to me that she was really feeling ill, maybe in pain, that I unwittingly blurted out the truth. At least we managed to get help for Shandy from that time on. Mum took her to the vet the next day, and we soon got the terrible news. In cases like this, when the truth really is very unpalatable, putting it off just makes things worse in the long run. If you want to salvage the situation, the sooner you accept what's going on, the sooner you can take action to put things right. I think one of the things that prevents people from taking action, I don't mean taking action to start a revolution or enact violence. I mean action to hold people in power to account, to question the things that don't seem right, to stop complying. One thing that prevents people from doing this is that they don't accept their own power. We're taught from an early age to respect authority. We are born helpless and we are totally at the mercy of our parents. We couldn't grow or thrive without them. And for most of us in the Western world anyway, we grow up seeing our parents taking their information from the TV or radio news or from the newspapers. These media organs are like the priests of ancient times. We just accept what they say often unthinkingly. And those outlets instruct us to do what the politicians tell us to do. We ingest all this as the natural way, along with our mother's milk. Parents know that the most commonly used word by children under five is why. And every time they answer the why question, the response is, but why? What happens when children reach the age of five? Well, they go to school and then they're told the answers and they're told not to question those answers. And when you grow up, if you're still questioning things, you're often called a conspiracy theorist. But this is generally by people who find some of the questions and the possible answers to those questions far too scary to contemplate. They prefer to brush them aside with a sneer. Not thinking about things you find uncomfortable is part of giving away your power. I think that when people who haven't thought about these scary things do allow themselves to contemplate the what-if scenarios, it can be a very un unpleasant process. They can get bombarded by fear and angst about the future, about the precariousness of life and their position in it. I've seen people who have been woken up by the Covid crisis and have then vo joined the various protest movements going through this process. And it's not an easy thing to do. 
The real resolution comes when we start to recognise the power in ourselves to change things, even on a, a small scale. The things we do might seem very small on the surface, but they can have an enormous ripple effect. And I'm not talking about leafleting a thousand homes, although that might have a positive effect. It could just be spreading love in a small way so that people who are in a state of terror due to believing all the government propaganda that's being churned out can start to relax a bit more. Or removing your face mask when everyone else is wearing theirs and being polite about it if questioned. Or it could simply be thinking about a better way to live and how that might be achieved. This is something that some people have been doing for years and that we should all really have been doing, but it often takes a crisis to push people into a more positive direction in life. The powers that shouldn't be are excellent at imagining the world that they want to see. Look at Lockstep, Event 201, Agenda 21 and 2030, all documented in detail online. These powerful people create their scenarios, write about them, and then rehearse them rigorously and intensively. The rest of us are the actors who step in just as the curtains go up to help them make their ideas a reality. They show us how it's done, and we comply or complain. Why can't we bring a world of our own imagining into being? Simply because we don't see ourselves as powerful enough, that's why. Most of us don't have the vision. We can't see beyond our homes and our mortgages, our jobs, our nuclear families. What would happen if we expanded our vision in positive ways to see ourselves as the powerful players we really are in this life instead of just pawns in someone else's vision? If you've enjoyed listening to my podcast, please subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. If you'd like to make a comment, download a transcript or view the show notes, go to imaginingfreedom.co.uk. Thanks for listening.